The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And our guest today is the small biz lady. You may know her from her Twitter chats or from her uh, frequent reports on national news media and in national magazines. Her name is Melinda Emerson, and she's joining us to talk today about how she built a national reputation using social media, about her best-selling book, Become Your Boss in 12 Months, and her role in the upcoming new CNBC show called Crowd Rules. It's going to debut on April the 30th, and we're really eager to find out more about that show and more about Melinda's role in it. As I said before, Melinda is one of America's leading small business experts. She's a seasoned entrepreneur of her own, a professional speaker, a social media strategist, and her mission is to end small business failure. Her blog, Succeed as Your Own Boss, is syndicated by the Huffington Post, and she also hosts Small Biz Chat, which I mentioned before, which is a weekly live Twitter show, and she also writes a regular column on social media for the New York Times You're the Boss blog. So welcome to the show today, Melinda. Thank you so much, Kelly, for having me. I'm always excited to talk about how to grow a profitable, sustainable small business, so I'm excited to be with you today. Oh, absolutely. Now, I mentioned that you have a best-selling book, Be Your Own Boss in 12 Months. I want to ask you, though, how you became your own boss. How did you become the small biz lady, make that transition from corporate America to becoming a voice for all of us here in small business? How did you do well, that? I want to first start off by telling you that I'm a very accidental entrepreneur and business coach. I was a journalist. I was a television producer right, right. out of college. Mm-hmm. I went to Virginia Tech undergrad, and then I worked for the NBC stations in Pittsburgh, and then I worked for the NBC and ABC stations in Philadelphia, which is where I live now. And, you know, when I was in college, there was a woman you may have heard of her. Her name is Oprah Winfrey, right? Oh, you know, yeah. She, she really started kicking Harpo Productions in high gear when I was in college, and she caught my attention because she was the first journalist I ever saw become an entrepreneur, and that's where the that little tiny seed of an idea got in my head that one day I was going to start my own production company too, but I knew at, you know, 19 when I started thinking about that that I had to know something about the business first, so right. that's why I went into television. I became a producer, a writer. And I really tried to learn every job in the building, you know, but I realized, uh, you know, it was my dream job to work in, you know, top five market television. And, you know, I got there by 2030, and I was the youngest producer of top five market in the country. And i got to tell you, Kelly, my dream job became a nightmare. (laughs) I was like, like, oh, my God, like, this is not fun. I don't like these people. i got to get out of here, you know, or I'm going to be the big story, you know, so – I literally, when I was 25 years old, I basically had a laptop, a fax machine, and a dream, and I walked out the door. 
And, you know, thinking about it now, that probably wasn't the best plan. Um, but I, the one thing I did do before I left my company, um, I took out a home equity loan. I paid off every bill I had, even my car. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought my kid brother in to live with me. He became my tenant, so he became, you know, he so paid half income. my mortgage. Yeah, he paid, he paid half the mortgage. You know, I got myself down to bare-bone bills because I knew that I just wasn't going to have money, you know, be paying a bunch of credit card bills and stuff like that. The other thing I did was a year before I left my job, I started working part-time for another production company so I could learn the business, learn how to put a bid together, learn how to build customers. Like, I knew how to produce TV. That's it. You know, I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, production equipment and hiring people. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much stuff I learned, and I learned it from working part-time for another business. Sure. You didn't know the business side of it. You knew the technical side, but not the business. Yeah, yeah, and that's what happens to most people, right? Most right. people have technical skills or have a good idea. I bake great cakes. You know what I should do? I should open a bakery. Well, guess what? <laughs> Making great cakes and running a bakery are two entirely different skill sets. Yes. And if you aren't prepared and you don't know what you don't know about that business, you could get yourself and your family in complete financial ruin. And something that you love to do could really feel like a noose around your neck when you have to do it to eat. And really, after running my business, and and I was very fortunate because I was a very good networker. I really was able to leverage my network well when I started out in business, and those people that I served on boards with and stuff like that became my first customers. Right. And eventually my company became quite successful. I had very large contracts with Verizon, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, J&J. I mean, I was really doing well, and I started to win, um, you know, top 50 women in business in Pennsylvania, top 30 leaders of the future in America. I mean, all this stuff. Because I was a young woman, and I was in a very male-dominated field, and I was African-American. So people were always like, who is this woman that's like 25 who looks 12 that's like running this production company, you know? Um, and so it was very easy for me to get media and publicity and, you know, win awards and things for that. Um, well, well, you say it's very easy, but you had to put yourself out there. You know, a lot of a lot of people don't put themselves out there. They they don't go out and network. They don't make the contacts and have the circle of support and influence that you were able to create. So, yes, it's easy. It, it can be easy if you do those things, but you you're selling yourself short. I think. <laughs> you have well, to put I mean, yourself out there. You know what? It starts with the basic rule that you learned when you were a little kid, right? If you want friends, you must be friendly, right? So yes, you absolutely. Want, you don't want to call somebody that hasn't heard from you in two or three years and try to sell them something. You know, you just don't want to do that. You want to be somebody that keeps in touch with people, that connects with people on LinkedIn, that sends out holiday cards or birthday cards or Valentine's cards, whatever. You just want to be somebody that keeps in touch with people, keeps people up to date on what you're doing. And the great thing about social media, obviously, is it's so much easier to do that now than it used to be back in the day when all you had was a letter and a stamp, you know. So (laughs) I think that for me, you know, after a while of being in business and being successful in business and having, I mean, my business got up to about 10 employees and um, my husband, my ex-husband at one point worked with me for several years in the business as well. He was able to quit his job. You know, so we were doing really well. Then all of a sudden, 
I got pregnant with a little baby. <laughs> and mm-hmm. when that happened, I basically went from being the worst workaholic you ever met in your entire life to not able to leave my home for six months or basically raise my voice above a whisper at anybody. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. Which obviously turned my business upside down because, unfortunately, when I built my first company, I built a business around myself. I built so a cult of personality too. business, you know. So even though I had all those employees, all the people that called only wanted to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when my business, so when I was, you know, busy at home trying to get my little baby here healthy, my business was sinking like the Titanic, you know. And then I also realized how inefficient my employees were. Yeah. Because they would do anything I asked them, but nobody proactively did anything. Yeah, no, and there wasn't an initiative to move the thing any no, forward. No, because Mama yeah. wasn't there telling everybody what to do, right? So right. it was just in an instant I realized how broken my business model really was because your business should be able to survive without you being there Yes, if you have a business. So, so for me, the interesting thing about being on bed rest for six months is you get a chance to think, <laughs> And most importantly, what I thought about was all of the expensive mistakes I had the opportunity to learn over the last seven, eight years. Right. And what that did for me is it gave me the idea to develop a system and really to write a book so that other people wouldn't have to make all the expensive mistakes I made. Now, one of the things that I have done since I've been an entrepreneur is I am a voracious reader. I knew at 25 I didn't know anything about business, and I made myself a student of entrepreneurship. I read everything I could get my hands on. I took every course I could take, um, Leadership Inc., Urban League Leadership Institute, um, Minority Business Plan Competition, um, the you know Prudential Young Entrepreneurs Training Program. I went up to uh, Dartmouth and took a course. I went to the University of Virginia and took a course. I mean, I was serious about trying to learn about business because I knew that it would help me run my business better. Right. Right. And so in doing that, thinking about all that stuff, being on bed rest, thinking about, oh my gosh, I built this business around myself and now I can't do it and now it's not running well and are we going to survive? That was where I got the idea for my book, Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months. And really what I did was I developed what I call the Emerson Planning System to really help people make a successful transition from having a job to starting a business. So really it's a six-step system that I developed. So if I can share it with you now. Absolutely. Um, Step one in the Emerson planning system is really developing a life plan first before you ever write a business plan. You need to know what you want out of life, and then you need to build a business that aligns with your personal and professional goals. Too often, I've seen people start businesses that might even be good businesses, but just weren't good businesses for them. I tell a story about this woman in my book who I knew who was a mid-six-figure executive at a pharmaceutical company quit her job to open a food franchise, and this woman had never been married, didn't have any children, and all of her employees were teenagers, and she hated teenagers. Oh, my. Right? So this woman quit her good job, started a business, signed on for a franchise, and I saw her two or three years later, and she was like, oh, my God, I'm back in corporate America, and I'm so glad to be there. Lord, I can't be a slave to anything, especially not something that doesn't fulfill me. That's what she said. Sure. Well, I think that's true of anybody. I mean, you can do that for a while, uh, but long term, you don't love it. Forget yeah, it. You're, you're going to be miserable. You're going to have a lifetime of misery if what you're doing is only, 
putting food on the table. Now, I know by necessity that has to happen sometimes, but to have it be a lifetime like that is not something that's sustainable. It's not. It's not. And so that's why I tell people that they've got to be real clear about their why. And the fact that you don't have a job is not a good enough reason to start a business. I need something more than that. So you've got to really think through what is it that you want out of life because you can do anything. But if yeah, you so don't have a plan and an agenda, you're going to be on somebody else's agenda instead of your own. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You may think that you're starting a business to give yourself freedom, but as you mentioned before, too many entrepreneurs end up feeling like the business is a noose around their neck, and that is a very, very not just sad situation in terms of uh, your, your emotional state, but a lot of times you're you're um, being handcuffed financially too. You cannot leave because absolutely of the situation. Absolutely, and I see businesses like this all the time. I mean. I get unbelievably good letters and unbelievably sad ones, too. So trust me when I say this. And then the second step in the Emerson planning system really is developing your financial plan. Look, the money to start your business is going to come from your right or your left pocket. There are no grants or super fairies out here that are going to give (laughs) you money to become a millionaire. You know, there may be some programs, business plan programs, or, you know, every now and again, you know, some major corporation will have a grant program. But the time you spend chasing that, you could be running your business. So the thing you've got to understand, yes, the people who have assets have options. Your ability to save has everything to do with your ability to start a business. So if you've got a three or $4,000 a month mortgage and two brand-new cars outside and a retail therapy habit, you probably need to keep your job. You know, because <laughs> you know, look, you love Prada, you got to have those shoes. Look, keep your job. It's okay. <laughs> I need good people to have jobs because that's who I need to hire me. So it's okay. But you cannot become an entrepreneur because in the first few years of your business, your business owns you. Right. You don't own your business, and every time, every minute you have is going to be poured into that business, and you've got to be prepared for that. You've got to be prepared really to recoil your lifestyle for a few years before your business really takes off. And guess what? It takes an average of 18 to 36 months for a small business to break even, let alone replace your corporate salary. Oh, So no. you've got to be prepared so for that. Right. So what is step number three in the Emerson Plan? You've got to look at what skills you have and what skills you need to run your particular kind of business. You heard me say that I worked for a year part-time for another production company before I started mine. I recommend that people do that. Figure out what it really takes to run a restaurant. Don't start a restaurant because you like to eat. Go work in one so you understand what it is to run a restaurant. It's very important for you to be honest and realistic about what your personal skill set is. Yeah, and, and, and and try to do all of the different functions. Try to get on somewhere where they allow you the freedom to see all of every side of the operation. Is what is what you'd said before that you had the opportunity to do. Absolutely, you want to look under the hood and get a good look so that you understand who their vendors are and look at what the weaknesses are in that business so that you don't repeat those in your business. There's so much advantage to working for another company like the one you want to start. And then step four in the Emerson planning system is really figuring out who your paying customer is. So often I see small businesses, they get fixated on their logo or their location or the invitations to their grand opening event. (laughs) And if their life depended on it, could not tell you who their niche target customer is. Mistake, mistake, mistake. Let me tell you something. Who makes more money, your cardiologist or your primary care physician? Ah, yes, your cardiologist. Right. <laughs> Cardiologists drive Ferraris. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to be a cardiologist. 
You want to be a specialist because gone are the days of people hiring generalist consultants. People want to hire people who specialize in solving their problem every day. That's what they want, and that's what you have to be. Mm-hmm. And then step five really is you need a plan. You know, you cannot have success without planning for success. Yes, you need a business plan. You know, it doesn't have to be 40 pages. It could be 10. But think through how your business is going to run and, right. and understand that it's a hypothetical document. So it's what you think is going to happen. So once your business actually gets exposed to the marketplace, you will have to update it, particularly the marketing plan. Because right. who you thought was your niche customer might not be once you get out there and start charging people for stuff. So use it as a living, breathing document to actually help you run your business. It's not a historical document that you write once and put up on a shelf. That's crazy. Use this document to actually run your business. Okay, and so you've got you've you've done all of these five steps. What's the final step for business success or to making that transition? To Launch your business while you're still working. Do not ah. cut your paycheck off prematurely because, honey, once it's off, it is off. <laughs> no, no, don't do over. Start that business while you are working, please, because 90% of all small businesses get business from referrals. Mm-hmm. So quite possibly the person in the queue next to you is going to be your first customer or your first referral. Uh, yes, that that is such a common story where somebody said that they actually had their boss's blessing as they started the new business. They were very open about it as long as they weren't doing it during work hours. And a lot of times they were able to take the company that they were working for and that became their first customer. As their first customer. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, but now you got to be smart. you got to plan. Right. There's also a funny story that I heard somebody tell me fairly recently, and it was a guy who he's very successful. I said, so how did you, you know, make the leap? Because he'd had a good job. And he said, well, he said, it's not something I'm really proud of. He said, a bunch of buddies and I got together one night and were drinking some beer and uh, got a little bit, uh, you know, a little too much liquid courage, and I was – saying how much I hated my job and I could do it so much better on my own and they uh, challenged me to make a phone call to my boss right then and there and tell him my peace of mind and that I was going to quit and start my own business and so he said I did and the next morning I woke up and like oh my gosh what have I done and he said he called and apologized to his boss said you know I didn't mean all that and his boss said hey you're starting a new business good luck buddy and he said it was sink or swim so that's not the way to do it <laughs> No, you definitely don't want to do that. And obviously, if you're starting a business that's going to compete with your current job, you have to be very, very careful. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times people are starting Internet businesses, people are starting hobby-based businesses, and you absolutely can do that on your evenings and weekends, and it's not a conflict. If it is a conflict, you got to be forthright because what you don't want to do is ruin your reputation on your way out the door. So you definitely want to make sure that you're not using their computer and their fax machine or copy machine doing stuff. And be really careful about personal calls and using your cell phone at work. You know, you want to make sure that your job is still your number one priority and your business is your second priority. But you can do it. And most people do it this way now. Yeah, and, you, you know, you mentioned that one of the very important steps is to find out what you're good at and what you're not good at. Where are the weakness? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And then you surround yourself either with good employees or a good cabinet of advisors. As someone who started out, or even an established business, perhaps that is 
uh, going into some new territory and they need some advice on it. How, what's, what are some of the best ways to go about putting together a really solid team of advisors? Well, I tell every entrepreneur that they should have what I call a kitchen cabinet of advisors. So hmm. the first person in your kitchen cabinet should be somebody who is already an entrepreneur, somebody who has been there and done that and can help you sidestep some of the booby traps that are out here waiting for you in business. The second person in your kitchen cabinet should be somebody who is doing business with you or can, so they can become that internal advocate for you and give you that insider information so you know really what the budget is when your bid comes in, or if you've got an entrenched incumbent that you're trying to get up out of there so you can get that intelligence so that you can really be smart about building relationships so that you can get a bid opportunity. The third person in your kitchen cabinet should be someone who is actually a mentor to you. Maybe you have an informal relationship with someone that you call for advice every now and again. Make it formal. Make that person part of that kitchen cabinet so that you really can get clear about, um, you know, what you're doing for yourself and, and that you can have someone to bounce things off of. Um, the fourth and fifth people in your kitchen cabinet advisor should be someone who is an accountant or someone who is a lawyer. And many of us have had the opportunity to go to college. We know somebody who has these roles. I mean, I'm very fortunate in my family. I've got a lawyer and two accountants at the table with us at dinner time. So I'm fortunate that my siblings and my mom are in those fields, so I'm able to tap them. But the reason why I call this group of people a kitchen cabinet of advisors is because you can call these people up and get advice and these people will work for food. They are not trying to send you a bill every time you call them and ask a question. But here's the thing you got to think about. If you ask these people for advice and then you don't take it, you can burn a relationship. So you need to be very careful about how you use these people and that you do not waste their time. And I have found that kitchen cabinets often like to meet each other. They often want to find out, who are the other people giving you advice? And maybe they want to network with each other too. So right. I try to get this group of people together quarterly so that they can meet each other and we can all talk about how we're going to help you in your business. And it's a great way. And if you don't have a formal mentor or an informal mentor, there's a wonderful organization called SCORE, and it's SCORE.org, and it's a society of retired executives, and they will work with you online or in person. I'm based in Philadelphia. We have a wonderful SCORE chapter in Philadelphia. But that's another great way you can get free advice for your business if you do not have a formal mentor. Sure, and SCORE is a part of the SBA, the U.S. Small Business Administration, correct? Absolutely. They are funded by the SBA, but I believe they're their own standalone organization, yeah. Okay. All right. Now, you had talked about how you had built this company, a production company, to 10 people. Because you got pregnant, were on bed rest for six months, you realized that although you had a company of 10 people, you really were the focal point of the company. You built it around yourself, and that when you weren't there, it fell apart. And then you... Uh, decided that you were going to write a book about your experiences as well as about all the good advice that you had read about and heard about because you were an avid student of entrepreneurship. And in the course of doing all this, you wrote a book, and I, you call yourself an accidental entrepreneur. I don't know if you, know, you followed <laughs> your own advice, and, and when you started down this path of writing the book, you, you built a plan. But you have now built a new business around being a small business expert and resource 
And so tell us about how you were able to, you know, there's, I know a lot of people who write books, Melinda. They they write books and, you know, they might sell 400 copies of them, but they, they wrote a book, you know, and it was published. <laughs> but you have managed to write this book, and you've become a national sensation within small business circles. And, the you know, the national media is constantly tapping you. I want to make sure that you tell us about your new um, your new role on CNBC's new show. I mean, how did you manage to go within just a couple of years, really, from being this person who was running a 10-person production company, wrote a book? How did you get your name out there? How did you get the, the visibility you've been able to get? Well, you know, I have to tell you that I when I started winning awards and, and becoming really successful, I started being asked to speak on panels and do workshops and speak at women's business conferences and stuff like that. And I realized that I really enjoyed teaching people about business principles. And um, I found out, and I was really doing it as another way to promote my production company. I didn't realize that there was an industry of people who were professional speakers, right? So oh. <laughs> I literally, I'll tell you the story about the last time I did it for free. Right? So I... <laughs> flew down to Research Triangle Park, and I gave a speech at a women's leadership conference. And I found out the woman that was the keynote speaker that day had been paid $10,000 to speak at this event, and they had bought 300 copies of her book, and had given it to everybody who had attended this conference that day. And I was like, holy macaroni, right? I was there basically for a ham sandwich, and this woman had made, you know, <laughs> enough money for two months. And I was like, okay. I got to figure this out because, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm always an opportunist, right? So right. I made that woman my friend. <laughs> so <laughs> she explained to me that there was this organization called the National Speakers Association, and she said, yes. look, you have to be, you know, a professional speaker. You have to do 25 paid speeches a year or something to join. But even if you're not a member, you can go to their national conference. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay. So literally that was like, I think that was the same year I found out I was pregnant. So obviously I couldn't deal with it then. But when I got my son here and I got him through his first year of life without permanently maiming him in any way, (laughs) I decided to refocus on myself and go back to figuring out my next reinvention, right? And so literally I got online. I found out about the NSA's national conference. It was in California that year. I registered. I bought my plane ticket. I didn't know a soul. And I went out there, but I'm a journalist by background, so I take copious notes, and I can follow instruction better than anybody. And I knew business. I just didn't know the speaking business. Right. So when I was out there, I went to every workshop. I met everybody. I took copious notes. And while I was there, I met a woman who I hired to be my coach to turn me into a professional speaker. What she really did was she helped me learn how to package my content. She helped me learn how to sell from the platform. And every single person I talked to when I was out there said to me, if you want to be taken seriously as an expert, you got to write a book. And a matter of fact, you got to write a good book and somebody has to pay you to write it. And so I was like, well, you know what? I'm a journalist and I had started working on this book two years earlier when I was pregnant with my son. But I didn't finish it. I had like four or five chapters. And but everybody was saying, look, this is what you got to do. So I hired this woman to be my coach, and somehow I found myself on the phone with a book publisher one day, and I pitched him on my book. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a book proposal. I didn't have anything. I had an idea, and I knew it was needed in the marketplace. And the first publisher I ever talked to said they were going to buy my book. 
Wow. Wow. And so at that point, I was like, okay. So, you know, uh, my book was due to my publisher September 1st, 2008. And that date is very important because do you remember what happened in September of 2008? Oh, September and October both. I mean, that was when Wall Street nightmare, crashed. Nightmare. Nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Wall exactly. Street crashed. I mean, people's 401Ks became 10Ks, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was crazy. And so my publisher, after I turned in my book on time as a first-time author, came to me and said, look, kid, thank you so much for turning the book on time, but we're going to postpone your book until March of 2010 because we don't think the environment is favorable right now to bring out an entrepreneurship book. We don't think anybody's thinking about entrepreneurship right now. Uh, wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. But at the time, literally, that's what happened. They completely right. threw me under the bus, right? So I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, because I basically had wound down my production company to start being a small business expert, right? So mm-hmm. literally, I was reading something that Bill Gates said. He said that if he had $2 left in the world, he would spend $1 on PR. Mm-hmm. And it got me to thinking. I said, well, at this point, I had $5 left in the world. So I said, what am I going to do? You know, I'm like, I'm waiting on this book to come out. What am I going to do? And a friend of mine in NSA said, you know, social media is really starting to get hot. You might want to look at it and hire a publicist to help you start publicizing that book, even though it's not coming out for 18 months. Mm-hmm. So the woman that I hired, um, the name of her company is WebSavvyPR.com. So I called this woman, I told her my sad story, and she said, you know what? She said, I think 18 months is a great ramp-up time for a book. And I wanted to slam the phone down. I thought this lady was crazy, right? So, <laughs> But anyway, she said, I think Twitter might be the right place for you to go. And I said, what is Twitter? I mean, literally, I didn't know what she was talking about. Because uh-huh. remember now, this is the fall of 2008. This is not right. like how it is now. So she was like, I'm going to teach you how to use Twitter, and then we're going to, you know, get you out there and, you know, get your brand going. We're going to get you a blog going, and by the time your book comes out, people will be clamoring for it. And I was like, are you sure? I mean, literally, I thought this lady was crazy. I was like, are you sure? She was like, yes, 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 trust me. So finally the day came for me to sign up for my own Twitter account. She had been showing me Twitter. We'd been using her account, and she'd been showing me little tricks and stuff. So finally the day came for me to sign up for my own account. She's on the phone. I'm on the phone. I'm in front of my computer. She's in front of her computer. I go and type my name in, Melinda Emerson, and my name was taken on Twitter. It was taken. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, first of all, all of my life, I probably met four other Melindas in my life, first of all. And secondly, I was a kid that could never find my name on one of those keychain things, like, you know, when you were a kid. (laughs) The little you travel with your yeah. I mean, I, I have a unique name, <laughs> at least so I thought. Mm-hmm. So then we were like, oh, my God, what are we going to call me? What am I going to do? So we were kicking around names, kicking around names, and finally Kathy said, how about small biz lady? And I was like, you know, I think that works. She said, well, yeah. that at least will be a word that tells people who you are and what you do. I was like, okay, let's do it. Now, little did we know that that was the best branding accident that ever happened to me. 
that is a wonderful story. And uh, in the interest of time, I just want to fast forward a little bit. You didn't just go out there and start putting a few tweets out. You actually established <laughs> a, a regular, and I, I believe you still do it, a regular Wednesday evening live tweet chat. Yes, have, yes. We're coming up on our fourth anniversary, yes. April 24th, of producing Small Biz Chat, which is my weekly Twitter talk show where I interview a small business expert live every week on Twitter, and my community comes and everybody asks questions and gets answers, and every Thursday we publish the complete Q&A on my blog, SucceedIsYourOwnBoss.com, for anybody that doesn't use Twitter or happen to miss it so that we can repurpose that great information so that people can get it no matter how they use the Internet. So and we've been doing it four years now. Congratulations. And for anybody who wants to follow you on Twitter or, or on that hashtag, what is the hashtag? Is it hashtag small biz chat? It's hashtag small biz chat, but if you follow me at small biz lady or if you follow our handle at small biz chat, you can get the information on how to participate or okay. how to submit yourself as a guest. And Kelly, we'd love to have you on as a guest, certainly on small biz chat coming oh, up. Let me know. I so, love um, it. Yeah, so we do it every single week, and it's amazing the people that we get. We've had people from all over the world be guests, and we've had everybody you can think of in the business. Michael Gerber, Peter Shankman, David Allen, Jill Conrath, um, you know, the founders of the Guilt Group have been on. I've had the lady from Sprinkles Cupcakes as my guest. I mean, <laughs> I have had everybody on Small Biz Chat, and it's yeah. great. We have a great time doing that. Well, and that's a whole other conversation, Melinda, is, you know, some of those names that you just threw out there, I'm sure that some of our guests were thinking, how does she score those kinds of interviews? And, you know, when you relate it to the small businesses, I think, and again, we don't have time to go into all this, it's another conversation, but how do you reach out and get those big uh names? How do you get those big relationships? To be honest with you, most of the time they contact me because I've been doing it so long. And I have the biggest live small business audience really on the internet each week. I mean, I reach 1.5 million readers a week online. So because of that, Anybody with a book, a new book, or something going on that's targeted small business, they're practically stalking me to get on small business. <laughs> so it's not that hard anymore. Back in the day when we first got started, I was stalking people, begging them to be on, but I don't have sure. that problem anymore. I've got kind of a good backlog of folks who want to be guests on small business. Chat. So, well, and then we have corporate sponsors that come on as well. So we're doing pretty good. We've got a whole business operation around it. So it's good. You do. You do. Uh, now tell me about your other upcoming uh, spot on on the CNBC show. Yes, well, I am a guest small business expert on a new show called Crowd Rules. It's going to start airing on CNBC in primetime at 8 p.m. Eastern on April 30th. And basically, Crowd Rules is a cross between Bar Rescue or Tabitha Salon Takeover and Shark Tank. But the difference between our show is that the live studio audience is the ones that get to vote. Certainly we as judges give our input, but the live studio audience decides who gets the money each week on our show. So it's really, really, really exciting. I'm so excited. I'm on episode one. There are several other small business experts that are on the show as well. 
but I am so excited to have this wonderful opportunity with CNBC, and it's really going to help small businesses because they're giving out some serious dough on this show. So it's <laughs> really, really exciting. Um, I had the opportunity to go into three businesses across the country, one in Queens, one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and one in Orange County, California. So you guys will get a chance to see what I thought about these businesses when I went into them and kicked their tires a little bit and asked them some of the hard questions about running their business. Oh, and if just based on this interview alone, I know you asked them some of the tough questions because, uh, you know, your mission is to prevent small business failure. And that's a little bit of a distinction from people who say that they want to help small businesses or they want to educate small businesses. You specifically want to sell, save them from failure. So you are putting out there what the gotchas are so many different times. Uh, potential business owners go in with their eyes closed. They have this glamorous, glorious uh, idea of what small business ownership is, and especially in the first few years and sometimes beyond, it is anything but glamorous. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, it absolutely is. And you're cleaning the toilets and you're locking and unlocking the door every day. I mean, you're doing it all. And I think that you can do it. You need that healthy optimism that you have to have, but you've got to put your realism hat on. And the biggest thing that I see small businesses making a mistake with is really just not knowing the numbers. Like they're letting their fear of math be the reason why they don't know what's going on in their business financially. And that is ridiculous because cash is king. And you have to make sure that you're managing your cash and that you understand what's going on and what your deliverables are and what your receivables are and who owes you money and get on the phone and get your money. Don't ever be afraid to call somebody who owes you money. It's right. ridiculous. But we but we get, you know, we always want to get, uh, you know, the relationship tied up in it. Get somebody else to call about the money. But somebody in your business's job needs to be getting the money, chasing the money, tracking the money. <laughs> That's what oh. it is all about. You've got to know how much profit is in every sale. And you've got to know if there isn't profit in the sale, there's got to be a strategic reason why you're doing it. And you can't do too many of those, and you'll be out of business pretty fast. Yeah, those loss leaders can get you. So, But you are not afraid to talk candidly with small business owners about the realities, about the pitfalls, and and make sure they're balancing that against that optimism that they have and that passion that brought them to the table to begin with. So thank you for the work that you do in that area. You've probably saved a lot of business owners and potential business owners from heartache over the last four years, and I'm sure that there's many more uh, that you are you know, bound to work with going forward. So where do we go? What website? I know you said it earlier, but tell us again where we can get your book, where we can find out more about the new show. And Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my blog is succeedisyourownboss.com. My book is Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months. If you want an autographed copy, you can certainly grab one there. And if you're interested in getting your toes wet in social media, I have a great e-book as a resource for you as well. It's called How to Be a Social Media Ninja. Hi-ya! 101 Ways to Dominate Competition Online. And we're so excited about that. And people have been really loving the new ebook that we released in the fall. And so I fans demanded it, so I gave it to them. So I have a great social media guide out here. And certainly you can always catch my weekly column in the New York Times and the You're the Boss blog. Every Friday a new column comes out that gives you tools and tips. 
use social media in new and inventive ways. So that's pretty and, much me. And, you know, I'm always a small biz lady on Twitter and Facebook, so if you can't remember my name, Melinda Emerson, you certainly can remember small biz lady. Well, and that you are, Melinda. Thank you so much for your advice today. We really appreciate it. Keep up the good work, and we'll have another chat with you here sometime very soon, okay? Sounds great, Kelly. Thanks. Sounds great. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.